0: Are the Democrats about to pack the Supreme Court, add four or five justices to give them a majority? I don't know, but they just had a commission appointed or about to be appointed by President Biden, which will have on its agenda the possibility of court packing. Bad idea. You'll hear why on the show. So the Democrats are not only looking backward at uh, President Trump, former President Trump, and trying to impeach and remove him. They're also looking forward, maybe, trying to pack the United States Supreme Court. Well, we're not sure. We do know that President Biden has done what he said he would do during the campaign. He has begun to put together a blue-ribbon commission of very prominent people, lawyers, professors, who knows who else, in order to look hard at the Supreme Court of the United States and at the federal judiciary. The co chairman of the commission, according to a report in Politico, is a professor who strongly favors court packing and trying to eliminate the conservative majority on the Supreme Court and have enough new justices that can be appointed to swing the balance in favor of liberals on the Supreme Court. Uh, Another one of the professors, somebody I know quite well, Jack Goldsmith, uh, I think is much more moderate and open-minded about these uh, issues. Uh, He uh, was a uh, Biden uh, supporter, even though he was a Republican. But he also supported uh, Justice Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. Uh, and I've known Jack for a long time, and he's very balanced and open-minded. But we have to see who else is on the commission. Now, the people supporting the commission saying this is not about politics. This is not about Who has a majority on the Supreme Court? It's not about trying to get more liberals on the Supreme Court, something I myself would certainly like as a a liberal. It's not about any of that. It's only about structural, objective, neutral reform, making the Supreme Court a better institution, making the federal judiciary better. It's not about court packing. It's not about more liberal justices. All right, I got one question for those folks. Do you think this commission would have been appointed by President Biden. Do you think you'd support the appointment of this commission if the current Supreme Court were 6-3 to in favor of liberals? Come on! Of course not! The only reason you support this commission is you don't like the present composition of the Supreme Court. I don't either! But it ain't broke. It's just the way the process works. Sometimes you get more liberals. When I was a law clerk on the Supreme Court... 1963 1964 term we had a liberal um majority we had the liberal chief justice earl warren we had black and douglas and goldberg and brennan and it was a wonderful time for liberals Uh, we had all kinds of great decisions about civil rights and one person one vote and uh questions about capital punishment it was a great era of liberalism on the supreme court of course conservatives had signs impeach warren impeach douglas Um, they weren't happy. Uh, So the Supreme Court almost never makes anybody happy. Sometimes when it's 4-4 to with somebody like Justice Kennedy being the swing vote, nobody's quite happy, but nobody is unhappy. Now the court seems on many issues to be 6-3. to That doesn't mean that they voted for President Trump. They voted against him when he tried to get the Texas case before the Supreme Court, including the justices that he himself appointed to uh, the Supreme Court. There are some problems, but the problems are not with the Supreme Court. They're with Congress. They're with the Senate. Um, the Republicans stole a seat. There's no question they stole a seat. There's just no two ways around it. They applied a double standard. When uh, when uh, the Democrats had an opening in the Supreme Court and when President Obama nominated Merrick Garland, who's a centrist and, and kind of very moderate, Uh, and very highly qualified to the Supreme Court, the Republicans, led by the uh, majority leader of the Senate, said, no, 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 it's too late. It's too late. It's uh, nine months, eight months before an election. We should let the new president make the appointment. And so they stole that seat from the Democrats and from the American people. Outright theft. But at least if they had applied the same standard when President Trump got a vacancy after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg just a couple of months before the election. And he appointed a very conservative replacement just weeks before the election, confirmed shortly before the election. Somehow the Republicans got collective amnesia. What? What? Garland? No, no, no. That that, that was different. Now, that, his name was Garland. Uh, her name is Barrett. Uh, it, it, he was a man. She was a woman. He was a Democrat. She's a, a Republican. Yeah, eight months. That that was shorter in those days. The sun, it, it, it shone less bright than it is now. There must be differences. No, there were no differences. Just politics. Just politics. The Democrats should have had that seat. And there's something that should be done about that, but it's not about the Supreme Court. It's about the Senate. The Senate has to have consistent rules. They should have a rule. The rule could say after the convention, say end of August, no more nominees to the Supreme Court will be confirmed. We'll wait for the next president. Just apply that equally across the board. That would be okay. If you applied that, by the way, Merrick Garland would be on the Supreme Court and Barrett would not. But uh, if you applied it equally in the future, at least we wouldn't be paying politics with the Supreme Court. But is the response to the Senate playing politics with the Supreme Court Packing the Supreme Court? No. Uh, After all, it is true that there's nothing in the Constitution that precludes packing. If the Democrats now, they control the House, they control the Senate, they control the presidency, they could say, look, there are now six conservatives on the Supreme Court and three liberals. We want to appoint four more justices that will make sure that for the next years there will be seven um liberals on the supreme court and only six conservatives why stop at 7 why not make it 10 let's make sure the majority stays for a long 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 time sure okay and then you'd get several years with a liberal majority and i would be very happy because i like liberal supreme court decisions it would make me uh very joyous um i would love to argue in front of a supreme court with 15 justices eight of whom or nine of whom were liberal and Uh, supported my view on criminal justice and on separation of church and state and on gay rights and on a woman's right to choose, making me very, very happy. But what happens the next time the Republicans get control of the House and the Senate and the presidency, so they expand the Supreme Court from 15 to 23, and then the Democrats come in 35. Soon we're going to have a Supreme Court of 100. And every four years, every two years, every six years, the number will change. You can't reduce the number. Certainly, you can't take people off the court. You could reduce the number for the future, but that becomes very complicated. So this is a process with no end in sight. And so although I would love to see a liberal Supreme Court, I think it would be a terrible mistake for the Democrats to try to pack the court now to change the political composition of the Supreme Court. Now, you know, there are changes that make a lot of sense. I believe the term limits. Four justices make sense. I think an 18-year term or 15-year term or a 20-year term, long enough. That's fine. Let's make sure that every president gets to nominate at least one justice. Justice President Carter uh, got to nominate no justices. Uh, some of you may know this, but according at least to stories in magazines, Newsweek, Time, etc., I was on uh, a list of potential nominees for justice Carter for the Supreme court. I was a youngish man at the time. I don't know, around 40 or so, maybe a little older, but, um, um, He never got to make a nomination. Don't know whether I would have been nominated. Don't know whether I would have accepted. My wife thinks I would not not have enjoyed it, and I probably would have stayed on the court for a year or two and then gotten back to a more active life. I don't know. I don't rewrite history. I don't look back at history. But Carter never got to make a single single nomination, and Trump got to make three, and others have gotten to make many or more. One president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, basically filled the whole court. Um, And so... um, it depends. And I think term limits would make sense. I think a mandatory age limit would make no sense at all. If you had a mandatory retirement at 70, or like it is in Israel, 72, or some other countries, 75, that would just incentivize presidents to pick younger and younger and younger people. Because if you wanted to serve on the court 40 years, and that 75 is the retirement age, then you pick 35-year-olds. That's not a good thing. Uh, you want a range of people of range of ages. Let's never forget that uh, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes went on the Supreme Court at 60. Brandeis went on the Supreme Court at 60. Ruth Bader Ginsburg went on the Supreme Court at 60, and so uh, and they all serve for long, long periods of time. Um, there are those who went on the Supreme Court at age 60 and only served five years. Um, uh, some went on younger and died young or retired early. But you don't want age limitations because that just encourages presidents to pick younger and younger people. But if you have term limits, it doesn't matter how old they are. You're not going to appoint somebody 70. Certainly, I'm not getting appointed at 82. uh, But uh, it wouldn't matter whether you appoint somebody at 60 or 55 or 45 or 35. They're going to all be able to, presumably with good health, serve their 18 years or their 15 years or their 20 years. The problem, can't get that without amending the Constitution. And so— It's possible the commission may recommend uh, term limits, and it's possible that if they apply the term limits only to the future, not to sitting justices who are currently on the court, you might get a supermajority in Congress to authorize an amendment to the Constitution. There are some who think you could do it without an amendment. Um, I don't think so. I think it's very hard. Uh, The Constitution provides that justices shall serve during good behavior. That seems to strongly suggest no term limits. Um, And you can't define good behavior in age terms, obviously. You know, we've had senile justices on the Supreme Court. We've had psychotic justices on the Supreme Court. We've had justices who clearly uh, were drunk on the Supreme Court, Um, and uh, even some who were gently removed by peer pressure because they couldn't uh, do the work But for the most part, justices stay on the Supreme Court as long as they choose to. And that's controversial. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was beloved by liberals, uh, was much criticized by liberals for not leaving the Supreme Court during the Obama administration. In that case, she would have been replaced by a liberal, probably a liberal woman. Instead, she got replaced by a very conservative old woman, a conservative woman who, however, voted against uh, President Trump in the Texas election case. So let's wait and see. Open mind. Uh, This commission never would have been appointed if the Supreme Court was composed differently. So it is a political decision. I will strongly oppose court packing, even though it would give me a court much more to my liking. But to me, I always put principle above partisanship. I always put the theory of the Constitution above what would benefit me in the short term. And I look to what's best in terms of long-term interests of the United States of America, of the judicial system and of the Supreme Court. It is not in the long-term interests of justice or of the Supreme Court to have court packing either under Franklin Roosevelt as he proposed it in the late 1930s or today as some on the left are proposing it in order to eliminate the conservative current majority on the Supreme Court. So let's take court packing off the table. My own view is that President Biden doesn't want court packing. He said he doesn't want court packing. But that doesn't mean that he would veto legislation if it came from both the House and the Senate. There's a big difference between saying, I don't like it, and vetoing it. Look at what he's doing on the impeachment. I don't think he likes the impeachment. I don't think he thought it was a good idea for the House to impeach uh, President Trump and for the Senate to go forward with a trial against Mr. Trump. But instead of saying, as he originally said, let's just leave it to Congress, he's now said that the trial has to go forward. He's now put his imprimatur behind the trial. That may be the same thing that would happen with court packing. If you got a majority of the House, a majority of the Senate to pack the court, he might say it's not something I would have done, but I'm not going to use my unusual veto power, which should only be used in extraordinary situations, he will say to veto the will of my party, the veto, veto the will of Congress, to veto the will of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and he'll say the American people. So stay tuned. We don't know whether we're going to see court packing. I hope it doesn't happen. We don't know whether we're going to see any other suggestions. Uh, we do know that it's going to be easy for Congress to appoint more judges, lower court judges, court of appeals judges, district court judges, and part of the reason for that is to create some kind of political equality. I don't like that either. Um, Judges should be allowed to decide cases on their merits, and we shouldn't be politicizing the courts either way, but I suspect we will see recommendations for expanding the number of judges, and it'll be done based on expanding court cases, expanding needs for more judges, expanding this and that and the other thing. But uh, at bottom, it will be largely political, largely uh, partisan, so uh, you'll hear anything that has to do with the judiciary, with the Supreme Court, with law. You're going to hear about it on this show. Um, one and a half cheers for a commission. You know, commissions are always okay. As one person said, commissions are where ideas go to die. Maybe that will happen. Maybe some ideas will come forward. That will be accepted. I hope. Court, I hope court packing. Is not among them. You'll hear more about that on the DER show, but now let's turn to the wits from the DER show and let's hear from callers about previous shows. And please call in about what you think about court packing, about the commission, about what's going on generally with the Biden administration. Our first call for today. Hi. The show today,
1: News. About how set at how frontline um, deliberately and maliciously left out of their document documentary of Donald Trump's uh, Charlottesville speech that uh, there were two both both sides there are good people on both sides saying that he condemned the neo Nazis shouldn't you have the same condemnation of Joe Biden who says that his whole spe- his whole run for president was based on the Charlottesville speech of Two people on the good side. And clearly that probably is also deliberately and maliciously misleading. I'd like to hear your comments. Thanks.
0: You make a good point. Um, uh, I think when uh, Joe Biden announced that he was going to run for president and he was stimulated by the president's speech in Charlottesville, he should have said that although he condemned Nazis and white nationalists, he didn't do it enough. He should have included that. In his statement, I think generally that uh, politicians and the media should be fair to their opponents. And I think anyone who simply quotes good people on both sides without putting it in the broader context of what he said about neo-Nazis and white nationalists uh, does a disservice. You're right.
1: Good morning, Professor Dershowitz. This is Christopher Aaron calling from Burlington, Vermont. And I have a question for you regarding a case that's in the news this morning. A gentleman by the name of Douglas Mackey, a.k.a. Ricky Vaughn, was just charged with one federal charge of disseminating information designed to deprive individuals of their constitutional right to vote. Uh, supposedly, he sent a meme on November the 1st 2016. And my question for you, sir, is are humorous, satirical, and parody political speech not Constitutional. Uh, Where's the line here? And is this case just another example of the new Department of Justice uh, purging political dissidents?
0: Thank you. You're absolutely right. First of all, there's no such crime as saying something that will deprive somebody of the right to vote. You're allowed to say anything you want. You can get on television and say, I don't think black people should vote. I think Jews should go to the synagogue and not vote. You can say that. That's free speech. You can't say, if you vote, I will kill you. Um, You can't do anything like that. But I think the idea of um, uh, criminalizing humor, there's a Supreme Court case directly on point. Uh, It involved the Reverend Falwell, and he was the butt of a cartoon uh, in uh, some... Porn magazine, Hustler, I think, and um, and he was made to look really bad, and his mother was as well, and it was terrible, it was horrible, it was bad humor, and the Supreme Court, in a decision by Chief Justice Rehnquist, a conservative, upheld it, saying that uh, you can't put limits on on free speech just because you don't like it, and humor and satire is a very important part. protected free speech. So I don't think this case is going anywhere. I'd like to see the ACLU get involved and defend it, but uh don't count on that.
1: Mr Dershowitz, I need to call you out on something. Sure. As evidence of Joe Biden's innocence with his son Hunter, you pointed to the fact that he has a modest humble home. He actually owns a number of homes. One is $6.6 million in Delaware and another one in Virginia. Could you comment on that? Thank you.
0: I didn't know that he owned $6 million home in Delaware. I didn't think there were $6 million homes uh, in Delaware. Um, I've just seen him um, in many contexts in which he seems not to be somebody who uh, spends uh, a, a lot of money Um, If he has these homes, the question is, what did he pay for them and what did he pay for them from? And uh, his wife works, obviously. Um, That doesn't seem like it's uh, out of line with what, uh, you know, he might have been able to buy a home years ago in Delaware for a lower price. But worth looking into. That's what the media is supposed to do. Um, I, I remember once thinking about a senator Uh, who uh, bought a home that I knew was extraordinarily expensive because he bought it from my friend, and I know what he paid for it. And the guy had never worked a day in his life other than in government. So it it did really raise questions in my mind. Where did he get the money to uh, pay for that? Well, of course, we know that members of Congress do uh, own stocks, and uh, there are special exemptions for them. These are rules that probably should be changed. But uh, sure, I mean, it's fair to look into anybody's uh, income and anybody's source of wealth. The IRS does that uh, all the time. But I still stand by my statements that, uh, from what I know about Joe Biden, he seems to be a a decent uh, man, and I've never seen any evidence of personal
2: corruption. Hello, Alan. Uh, This is Sam from Hartford, Connecticut. I was born in a placed persons camp in Germany after World War II, the son of Holocaust survivors. I do not own any guns or weapons, and I do not belong to the KKK or any Nazi groups. But I did vote for President Trump in the election. Am I now to be considered a white supremacist because I voted for Trump? Do I need to be reeducated for my views even though I am Jewish? Is this the mob that the founding fathers worried about? Will they try to dismiss checks and balances to try to stay in power forever? You hear the Biden administration using the term white supremacist as a reason for government surveillance or anything they do. I am worried. I am really worried for the future.
0: Good point. You don't have to be re-educated in my book. Uh, You can vote for whoever you want to. Many, many millions of people voted for Donald Trump. The vast, vast, vast majority of them were not white supremacists or neo-Nazis. A tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of them were. There were probably some white supremacists uh, who voted Democrat as well. Um, And so we shouldn't generalize, obviously. And we shouldn't punish people in any way for voting for Trump, as people will be punished in academic uh, settings and uh, legal settings and business settings. Not so much if they voted for Trump, because nobody's supposed to know who you voted for, but if they were overt facilitators or enablers, to use the term that's often used, uh, there will be consequences, and that's just un-American, and it's just unfair. In this country, you have a right to vote for whomever you wish And you should never have to pay a consequence for that.
1: My question for Professor Dershowitz is, what is his opinion of those 22 vindictive executive orders the so-called moderate President Biden has signed? Thank you.
0: I don't know all of the executive orders. I certainly approve of many of them. I want to see um, more um, concern for the environment. I want to see more racial and gender equality. I'd have to look and you'd have to ask me about a particular executive order. Remember, President Trump did executive orders, too. I helped on one of them, the one that dealt with anti-Semitism on college campuses. Executive orders are generally uh, very very much increasing in recent administrations. I, I don't love executive orders because... Uh, the legislature is supposed to make the law. The uh, the executive is supposed to enforce the law. But we're seeing executive orders. Uh, a lot of these executive orders reversed executive orders of the prior administration, which is both the virtue and the vice of executive orders. That is, you can get them done quickly. Uh, all the president has to do is assign them, but then the next president can undo them, as was done with the Paris uh, Climate Accords. So ask me about a specific executive order, and I'll tell you. Anything that helps the environment, helps racial equality, I'm generally in favor of. I'd rather see it legislated than done by a president, but I would apply that across the board to all presidents.
1: Hi, Alan. Jim Shea, Shamong, New Jersey. Just very curious uh, about how you felt with what kennedy and biden both did to clarence thomas during his confirmation you know i know that was way back in 1980 sometime but if you ask me those that was some of the most evil uh mischaracterization of a person's character that i've ever seen in my life and so the it just it bodes back to their character the kennedy and the biden and you can add to clinton's some of the most corrupt families in the history of the united states just want to get your view. How did you feel about what they did to Clarence Thomas? Did you agree? Thank you.
0: I didn't like the way Clarence Thomas's confirmation uh, process was handled. I didn't like Clarence Thomas's nomination. I was opposed to it. Um, when uh, President Bush lied to the American public, looked him in the eye, and said, "This is the most qualified jurist in America to serve on the bench," he wasn't being frank with us. Uh, he was not the most qualified jurist to serve. On the bench, uh, he may have been the most qualified extreme conservative jurist to serve on the bench, but not the most qualified jurist to serve on the bench. But I didn't like the way it was handled. Um, and I think Senator Biden was criticized by both sides. I think he was criticized also for being too tough in some ways on, um, on uh, the accuser. Uh, but it was not the finest moment for the Supreme Court. Uh, Arlen Specter was much criticized for his role. I don't think anybody came off all that well, except my friend Charles Ogletree, who was the lawyer for Anita Hill and did a great job. Um, But again, in the end, the vote was to confirm uh, Clarence Thomas. It was a very close vote. I think at the time, maybe the closest vote we've had. And Clarence Thomas is now the senior justice on the Supreme Court. He served for many, many years. I think he's, uh, it's around 30 at this point. And um, uh, there are rumors that um he might uh retire don't know whether that's the case or not he may also try to wait it out until there's an ex-president um you know justices do sometimes take those matters into consideration obviously Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not I think to her credit um I don't think justices should play politics with the appointment process and uh I just don't like the way uh, the Clarence Thomas matter was handled.
1: Yeah, this is Terry Stevens here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, my question is, is after all of this uh, impeachment stuff is said and done, including the first time around, does uh, Donald Trump have um, the ability to bring civil suits against uh, the mm-hmm. bad actors? Thank you.
0: No, uh, the short answer is he does not. Uh, senators and congressmen are exempt and immune for what they do in their role as senators and congressmen. Obviously, uh, if people outside of Congress make defamatory statements, a former president could sue. The president, the former president could sue Frontline, could sue GBH uh, for distorting his statements about good people on both sides and about violence at the Capitol. I don't think he's going to do it because when you sue, you're subject to depositions. I have sued CNN and I'm in the process of suing uh, Netflix because they totally lied and defamed me and I have nothing to hide. I live an open life, so I don't fear uh, depositions. I don't fear... Uh, witnesses against me. um, uh, But I think that most public figures would prefer to respond in the marketplace of ideas, as would I. But sometimes you just have to do the right thing and sue when CNN doctors a tape and turns my statement into exactly the opposite of what I said. I think I have no choice but to sue them, especially since they won't put me on the air to correct the, the record. The same thing with Netflix. They just Lied to me, put witnesses on the air who they knew were lying um, and didn't present the evidence that would prove that the witnesses were lying. And so, um, and there's no opportunity for me to get on Netflix and correct the record. So, my uh, access is to the court of law rather than the court of public opinion. I will fight both in the court of law and in the public opinion court to vindicate my own good name.
1: I was getting ready to listen to your new podcast, and I didn't listen to it yet, but the question about whether or not Hillary Clinton could be impeached and or convicted in the Senate made me think of something else. Since during this particular election, people complained that they got absentee ballots for cats and dogs in their homes, Uh, I'm just wondering, since animals seem to be fair game, why not the dead? why don't we see if we can finally impeach and convict president nixon what would stop the democrats from impeaching president nixon because i would think that just the fact that he's dead now that we've uh, figured out that we can impeach a president is no longer a sitting president i would think that being dead should be uh, not insurmountable what do you think
0: Well, first of all, being dead is insurmountable, as a matter of fact. Um, If you believe in resurrection, okay. But generally, dead is dead. Um, The reason they couldn't go after Richard Nixon, I think, is the justification is that there are two things that could happen to somebody who's impeached and removed. One, removal, and the other is disqualification from running for any office. A dead person can't run for office, except sometimes in Chicago, maybe in Boston in the 1920s and 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 30s, um, you could get dead people running, uh, but in the normal course of events, dead people can't run. So there's nothing, there's no consequence that would ensue from impeaching uh, a person who is dead. But Hillary Clinton's very much alive and young enough to run, and if she wanted to run, she could, if she could get the nomination, and so she could be impeached under the uh, wrong-headed, unconstitutional. Theory that the Democrats have put forward for why they're putting Mr. Trump on trial. But one point, you called, you didn't watch my show. Watch the show, subscribe, listen, come aboard. Then your questions will be based on not only what I tweeted, but what I said. So I welcome everybody to subscribe, to listen, to watch and to ask questions based both on my tweets and what I say on the show. So looking forward to have more wits and more questions and more comments on The Dirk Show. An important part of The DIRS Show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216-710-0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24 7 is 216 710 0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short, and I'll answer them all on the Dirt Show.